Welcome to the podcast for St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School Sherman Center that's in Random Lake, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee and south of Sheboygan. We're pleased to share with you recent sermons and Bible classes from our congregation. We welcome you to join us for Divine Service Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have Bible classes currently offered at 8.15 a.m. on Sunday. Join us to receive the Lord's Word and His gifts. All right, let's uh, start with prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, uh, we need to recap a little bit, because if you're like me, it's been... It's been two weeks, and uh, one week I can barely remember. Two weeks, I definitely don't remember what we talked about two weeks ago. Uh, I'm sure I studied it, I prepared it, so I probably remember better than you do. That way. So, uh, to recap, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and oh, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. I think. Just to recap a few things in that section, uh, just backing up again so you can see it. Mary and Martha, um, who we know from elsewhere, Mary who anointed his feet with her hair. Um, so she's known for that. And then Lazarus, a certain Lazarus of Bethany. Remember that means, at least I would suggest, a certain man re- indicates that he is of some notoriety, that people know him. And we'll see that play out here in, in our reading for today. Uh, this illness does not lead to death. 
does it? <laughs> yeah, which death are we talking about? And then this statement, we needed to go back to this anyway. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. All right? So the reason why Lazarus dies and the reason why Jesus delays and then gives him resurrection is all to reveal who Jesus is. And not just so Jesus is like, oh, look at me, I'm so impressive, but that you would believe in him. And that by believing him, you would have life in his name. All right? So this is one of the... There's a comment on today's handout about this, that um, Jesus isn't just a miracle worker. There had been lots of miracle workers. uh, As we were studying the Old Testament right now, uh, in the prayer guide, it's in Joseph, right? And you see this with Pharaoh, with his magicians and his sorcerers. They do all sorts of crazy stuff. They can't do everything that the Lord gives Moses to do through Aaron, but they can do quite a bit. They can turn their staff into a snake, for example. So should you believe in them? Hmm. All right? It's the same idea here. And there have been other miracle workers. But Jesus is saying specifically what he, is, what he is allowed to happen and what he's going to do is all for the sake of your faith and for theirs. All right. So that's important to note. Uh, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, which is an indication of not only Jesus' like compassion and his relationship to them as their God, but actually as their friend, too. And I think we talked about that two weeks ago, you know? When we sing the hymn, it seems a little sentimental to me, but what a friend we have in Jesus, you know? But notice what the next line is. Do you know the hymn by heart? What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's right. We had to start singing it. All our sins and griefs to bear. That's what kind of friend we have. He, he bears our sins and our griefs. He cries with us. He, he, he knows what it means to lose a friend to death, right? His friend Lazarus. He knows what it is to grieve with, with Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and all the friends. All right? We talked about this on Thursday in the Bible class, uh, and it'll come up here. What not to say to someone when they're grieving is, it'll get better, you'll get over it. It seems nice, especially if you've been through a death of a loved one, or you have even the death of a spouse, and you're talking to someone whose spouse has died. It seems senti- you know, like a nice sentiment to give them, that you know, that you had recovered somewhat from that, and so you're trying to comfort them in the same way. Um, but they can't know what you've experienced. They can only know what they're experiencing then, all right? And so better, you know, give them the promise of the Lord that, you know, that your spouse will see the resurrection, but even more so to actually cry with them, to be sorry, you know, tell them, I know what, it, I know what it's like to lose a spouse. I've been there. I'm here for you. And, and stay with them in that moment, not point them to a moment that hasn't, they haven't experienced yet. All right. So Jesus does the same here. He's going to grieve with them, but we'll get to that. Um, and then he delays, and we talked about him delaying, which seems kind of irresponsible. You know, <laughs> He can give Lazarus healing, but then he takes his sweet time. But we'll see how that plays out uh, today. And then he's like, okay, fine, now it's time to go. Uh, but why are you going to go to Judea? Because they're going to stone you again. Now, this is another recap from two weeks ago, but just to remember, in chapter 11, chapters 11 and 12, Jesus turns away from the Jews who have been his primary, what do you want to say, interlocutor, what's another, it's a normal word that people actually say, you know, they've been his conversation partners. (laughs) That's putting it maybe a little too mildly, right? (laughs) He's been arguing with them at length for chapter after chapter after chapter, right? Chapter 5 all the way through uh, to chapter 10. But uh, with, some, with an interlude there in, in chapter 8. 
But still, the, um, the Jews are now seeking to kill you, but he's actually now turning towards the work of saving his friends from their sins, bearing their grief and their sorrows, to quote Isaiah. All right. Uh, this is a really helpful statement, and we'll see this play out again today. Are there not 12 hours in the day? Um, yeah, 12 hours of daylight, right? 12 hours that you can do your work, all right? So then he says, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him, all right? Now, that seems like just, you know, great earthly wisdom, right? Work when it's light out, go to sleep when it's dark, because you can't really do much in the dark, because you'll just be like me trying to walk down the hallway after mom turns off all the lights at night. And I invariably walk into someone or something. There's all these people passing in the night in, in the, the hallway between the bedrooms. You know it's true, right? You never know who you're going to bump into. Uh, <laughs> that's not what he's talking about, right? He's talking about... Uh, walking in his light, right? Staying with Jesus, who is the light of the world, who is, who is the only light that, that no darkness can overcome, the only one who can actually show you the way, the truth, and the life, right? Uh, but darkness and light is a theme that is especially poignantly seen in the death of Lazarus. Because where, where will Jesus and Mary and Martha and the rest of the Jews be standing? Outside the, the tomb, Right? Inside the tomb, behind the stone, is Lazarus, who is in the, in the dark. He's in the dark. So Jesus is in the light, they're in the dark. So he's, there's a problem with, with breaking this up over weeks, is that we lose the context, especially the week in between. So he's, he's talking about light and dark, and that will come to bear as well. So the 12 hours, the light and dark, the, um, the delay, and um, his compassion for his friends. And here he says it again. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Which is a wonderful word of comfort for those um, uh, who have, you know, friends, family, um, loved ones who have died in the Lord. And, and we, we emphasize this because of its uh, comfort. That from the Lord's perspective, those who have died in him are asleep. And all it takes from Jesus is a word, and they wake up. Right? Which we'll see. All right. So Jesus, Jesus is, um, his relationship to death, uh, well, this is actually worth mentioning. Um, sometimes maybe you get the impression, and maybe I falsely give this to you, that sin, death, and devil are like enemies of equal or even, even close to being as powerful as God himself, right? As if God and the devil are like equally matched and, you know, who's going to win this time? Right? And that's how we think about our own sin and our struggle with sin. We think of it as equal to our baptism, which is, well, it's contrary to God's word. It's idiotic. Is that when God promises that you will always have a means of escape from, from temptation, that's a, that's a promise that he keeps. It's, it's, it's a powerful word. Right? Your baptism always rules over sin. You know? Not because you believe that it can or it does, <laughs> but because it does. Right? He always leads you back to faith. That's his, that's his work. So it's, I'm not downplaying the significance of sin, death, and devil, um, but Jesus does. All right? Sin's forgiven, word. It seems like, you know, we think of sin as this powerful thing, and then Jesus says, you are forgiven. I'm like, what? There's got, no, that, that can't be that easy. 
It is for him. All right? Oh, wake up. What? I'm dead. No, no, you're not dead. Wake up. <laughs> what? How is that? You get it? All right, even the devil, I mean, the devil has to ask permission of God to go and make Job's life terrible. Okay? So the devil's not going to afflict Job unless the Lord allows him, which is a whole nother conversation, I suppose. <laughs> All right. The disciples said to him, Lord, he has fallen asleep, he will recover. We read this part, right? Yeah. Now Jesus spoken of his death, <laughs> but they thought he was taking a rest and sleep. They're not quite. All right, so you, you guys aren't quite getting it. Lazarus has died. Now how he knows that? Well, this is his divinity speaking, right? Yeah. This is only God would know that. The one who gives life and the one who takes it away. As Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. All right. For you, for yours, and for your sake, and I would include you in that your, by the way, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. All right? So he knows what he's about to do. This is all according to God's own foreknowledge and, and uh, election, I suppose. He's elected Lazarus um, to be this seventh sign of John's gospel, if you like, or sixth sign, depending on how you number them. And it's for the sake of faith. And everything in John's gospel from the prologue all the way in chapter 1, verse, what is it? 1, verse 14, 1, verse 49, 50, 51. And then again in chapter 20, with the purpose statement in John 20, verse 30, 31. Both the beginning and the end, everything is about having faith in Jesus. That's what it's about. And everything he says and does is to lead you to that faith, even in including Lazarus' death and Jesus' delay, so that he dies. Hmm. I know that's hard to say. He willed the death of Lazarus? Well, yeah, because of his sin. But he particularly allows Lazarus to die now, um, that the glory of God would be revealed, as he said. All right, let us go that we may die with him, which I have no idea what Thomas is talking about there. <laughs> what? You're going to go get in the grave with Lazarus? What are you talking about, Thomas? Thomas is an interesting character, though, isn't he? Yes, Didymus, the twin. All right. Uh, we read this too, so we better reread this as well. Who, who's next? Some loud and profound. Yeah, there we go. Scroll up for you. There you go. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will be died, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Okay, that's actually where we got to last time. All right, now, very famous text, right? Um, I am the resurrection and the life. Also said at every funeral because of the, the comfort that that brings. Um, notice, though, that Martha, I know we talked about this, um, her faith is incomplete. 
correct? She, she believes that he is the resurrection, but only that, that we receive resurrection when? Yeah, the, on the last day, at the end, right? But that isn't actually what Jesus says in this text. So while we say this at funerals, right, to refer to the fact that those who have died in the Lord will be, risen, you know, be raised on the last day, that's not entirely what we're saying. That's, that's only part of it, right? Because one of the essential Christian confessions is that the dead do not, are not dead. <laughs> they live, right? Think about even how God refers to the patriarchs. He says, I am the, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He doesn't refer to him. I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? Even in the statement of who God is, he says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead. And that's how um, the faithful of Israel understood those words. Yeah. So, so repeatedly, with a few exceptions, those who die in the faith, in the Old Testament, they go to be with their fathers. And it's not just a, a, a clever euphemism about being put in the same cemetery as your <laughs> deceased relatives. Although that's also true, it's at the Oaks of Mamre, right, in Cana, right? It's, it's actually that you go to be with them who are not dead but living. Right? They believed in the resurrection. Abraham believed in the resurrection, or he wouldn't have sacrificed Isaac. David believed in the resurrection. He accepted the word of God's judgment against, against his son, Absalom, but confesses that you, he will see him again. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of the point of the story, so it's, it's right in context. Go. Mm. Yeah, nobody saw Moses die, which is why it didn't astound anyone um, at the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. It didn't astound them that they saw Moses. They, there, there is, we talked about this in what context in John? Because there's no transfiguration, but I brought it up. There was an expectation that Moses was like part of the, he's like either one of the messiahs or he's um, somehow whoever would come would come in the way of Moses right, with the staff and do great and mighty works the way that God did, or that God did through Moses. So yeah, Moses departs. Elijah, same story, right, taken up in a whirlwind, right, he doesn't see death um, the way that we do. And then, of course, he appears living um, at the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, this is, I mean, it's not going to be a satisfactory answer, I think, but the simplest answer is, is that God doesn't always do everything exactly the same. And he's free to do that. Right? The normal course of events is that for sin you die. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he's with us. Yeah, and he's with us. His tomb is with us to this day. But, so they had a burial spot, but they never buried him themselves. God did that, is kind of what the text says. Or God just took, them, took him alive. Um, was it, does it mean they were without sin or something? I think you just have to, you're just projecting on the story putting in details that God hasn't actually said, which is uh, a dangerous game, <laughs> you know, unless you can import it from elsewhere. So, no, it's just, uh, those are extraordinary cases. And much like the way people argue about baptism often. They say because um, Jesus forgave the thief on the cross and then welcomed him into heaven that very day, that then baptism isn't necessary. You're like, okay. Uh, that, that is kind of a unique case that you're dying next to the Lord on a, cru on a cross, right? But 
that, is that what he instituted? Is that the normal? Uh, what do we call this? Arguing from exception rather than the rule, right? And saying, well, because there's exceptions, then the rule is no longer valid. It's, it's actually a logical fallacy. It doesn't follow. Yeah, so to me, that's the easiest explanation. I don't know if it's sufficient for you or seems valid. Um, but those are extraordinary figures, too, right? I mean, because uh, Moses is considered, you know, um, well, Elijah is considered the prophet, even though I would suggest Isaiah is more substantial, but whatever. And then, um, uh, but Moses is considered basically, you know, the Messiah of the Old Testament. He, that the story of Exodus is an even bigger story than creation and then, than, uh, than the flood for, for, an Is, for an Israelite, for a Hebrew. God's deliverance through the Red Sea from Pharaoh and his host. All right, so they're substantial figures, and so they, I think they just uniquely handled would be my explanation. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he gets the closest in the Old Testament. Um, but that's by God's giving. That's not by, because Moses deserved it at all. <laughs> He's kind of a terrible guy, too, just like most of us. Notice I gave some exception there. Some of you are decent people. You, I'm leaving it to you to guess who that I'm referring to. All right. <laughs> See, that was fun. Okay, whatever. You don't have to laugh out loud. It's all right. It's all right. Where are we talking about? Oh, her faith is incomplete. So then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Again, I am, that is <clears throat> grammar time, kids. What, what tense is that? I guess I can refer to my own children. I am, past, present, future, present tense. It's present tense, yeah. And uh, if you connect it, if you consider it one of the I am statements, referring to God's name, the Hebrew name, which we usually refer to as either Adonai or we substitute Adonai or we call it Yahweh, that name actually means I was, I am, and I always will be. It's, it's, it's a... Past, present, future statement, yeah. So if you, if you want to import that here, you're free to do that, I think. You're saying, I, am, I was the resurrection, I am the resurrection, I always will be the resurrection and the life, right? And uh, it, just to emphasize that point, whoever, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, Elijah, whoever you want to talk about, any of the patriarchs, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, all right? We'll talk about this in a second. And... This is, it's a, I forget what the name of this kind of grammatical construction is. We have two parallel statements like this. Whoever and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So there are two statements, two different ways to say basically the same thing, but to make the point even more, with more emphasis. All right, so let's tease this out a little bit, because we didn't do this last time. I am the resurrection line. Whoever believes in me, present tense, believes right now, in me, though he die, what kind of death are we talking about there? Natural death, right? Yet shall he live. What kind of life are we talking about? Eternal life, that's right. And who, okay, so that's the first statement. He believes in me, he will, he may die now, he will die actually, though he die, yet he will live forever. And, now say the same thing in a different way. Everyone who lives and believes in me, so lives, now we're not talking eternal life, we're talking about lives now, right, natural life, and believes in me, shall never die, and what kind of death are we talking about? 
Yeah, eternal death, right? Got it? All right. So you may die, but you don't die. You may, <laughs> you live and you will live. Does that make sense? All right. So the, it's parallel. You've got, you've got living and dying in this life according to this flesh. But you also have living and dying in regards to your, your faith in terms of salvation. That you will live forever and you will never die. Not die eternally. Make sense? Yeah. So it's a pretty powerful statement. Which is why it's so comforting to us. Even if we don't actually stop to think too much about it. Well, do I have anything else on the sheet that we should talk about there? No. All right, good. So, then he says, this is kind of where we left off. <sighs> Half the class was review. All right, no problem. Do you believe this? Oh, can you imagine if Jesus came and talked to us and then he just said, oh, by the way, do you believe this? I think we'd probably be like Peter and just say, yes, Lord, I believe. <laughs> um, but if to be mm, more like actually be more like Martha here and say, yes, Lord. And then I would say, you can insert this. I said that was dangerous, but let's do it. I don't have any idea what you just said, <laughs> but I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Uh, it's possible she's putting resurrection and the life together with the promise of the Messiah, the Christ, who is coming into the world. To me, it seems like another one of these cases, which we've had so many of them in John, where Jesus says one thing and they just don't, they're, they're, they'll accept it, but they don't understand it, right? They just take him at his word, and then she goes to the thing she knows, she believes, is that he is the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So whatever he says, it's not about comprehension um, or understanding, um, it is about faith or trust. So, okay. And this will play out in the next part. Because does she act like she believes? The word, I am the resurrection and the life, and you'll never die. She doesn't act that way. But she says she believes, and we'll take her at her word. Okay? All right. Now, the next chunk. Let's read. When she had said this, she went and told us to Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, and is calling her. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, who was only her, who saw her, were quickly to go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to leave there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have we laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. Some of them said, Would not he open the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Very good. Just hold up there. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so now uh, Mary comes into the scene, and we, sh you know, we fully expected Mary to show up at some point. <laughs> Mary and Martha, you know that pair. But um, notice what happens. The teacher is here and is calling for you. Have, have we heard that? Do we hear Jesus say, hey, go get your sister? Uh-uh. 
which is perfectly okay. We were talking about this on Thursday in regards to Daniel. Daniel doesn't put in every detail, but for the sake of the, the story to just keep moving, you know, he'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear him refer to something that he didn't actually record but happened previous. The same thing here. Oh, it was just like we've seen earlier in John's Gospel where he says, oh, by the way, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. Like halfway into the story, he tells you where, where they are. Uh, he just, it's, it almost reads like, well, it does read like you're telling a story to somebody, and then you realize a detail that probably is helpful, and so then you just kind of throw it in, and then say, oh, back to the story. Right. It's the same, same idea here. Well, Mary needs to show up. Anyway, oh, teacher is here and is calling for you. Huh. Why? For faith. Right? He's working faith for both of these women and for all those who are with her. So she heard it. She rose quickly and went to him. And again, they know, she knows Jesus. He's, a, he's, you know, a friend. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. So not only was he delaying, and not only has he put his life at, at risk being so close to Jerusalem. How close to Jerusalem? Yeah, Karen read that, two miles. Right? Now he's so close. He's in Judea. He's close to Jerusalem. Um, but he doesn't go yet into the town or where to the, tomb, to the tomb. He waits for them. Right? So, you know, because he's leading them to the tomb and to faith and to the resurrection. Right? So, so he's holding up a little bit so until they get there, which I think is a wonderful note from John. Um, but then there's this note. Remember I said he's not really focused on the Jews anymore? It doesn't mean they're not around. Here's some more. Who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. All right? So they didn't hear the word that they're going out to meet Jesus. <laughs> but they see Mary taken off, so they're going to go, Mary Martha, so they're going to go with her to weep. Remember, I suggested that when John records that Lazarus is a certain man, that he's a man of some notoriety, that people know him. Uh, this, this is a wonderful you know, confirmation of that, I would say. Is that, yeah, I mean, he's a popular guy. People know him. And they're there weeping with her. By the way, that's when it says that they were consoling her, I think that ties in with the first part of the chapter where Mary, or Martha says, excuse me, that I know that he will have the resurrection on the last day. Those were the words of consolation that the Jews were giving to her, that he will rise on the last day. So these are faithful Jews, we would say, not the antagonistic ones, um, or, or not the unbelieving ones, the ones who don't believe in the resurrection, the Sadducees. So she's been consoled, and now they're going to keep consoling her and go and weep there. So notice he, Jesus keeps like a moth to the flame, right? You know, Jesus being the flame and the moths are just attractive. Um, that's kind of terrible. Oh, people aren't moths, but you get the idea. He's just drawing them to himself. Uh, which is, of course, what he does. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell on his feet and said, saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Hmm, I've heard that before. Who said that? Martha did back in verse 21. Yeah, so, um, sisters, sisters, uh, parent trap, right? Is that the one? No, white, white, white Christmas? Is that the one with the sister song? Or is, it, or is it Holiday Inn? Don't tell me you people don't watch old music. It's Holiday Inn? Okay. They're on the train, right? When they sing that, I think. Oh, no, that's when they sing. Eh, whatever. 
Uh, I have sisters. I don't have any brothers, brothers-in-law. I have sisters uh, who loved musicals. I particularly don't care for them, but they would watch them repeatedly. So I happen to know quite a bit. I, did, I loved playing in the pit orchestras for musicals, though. Uh, okay. I don't know what that had to do with anything. All right. Sisters. Oh, yes. They behave the same. There you go. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which is a confession of faith, but again, remember like we talked about with Martha, what kind of faith is that? It, what, do you, what did you say? Incomplete, yeah. Or maybe we just say immature. That's fair enough. It hasn't quite grown up into the full faith. It is a faith in Jesus and just a trust in him. So we don't want to diminish it in that regard. But just to say it, it, it lacks, lacks the full revelation of God that would make it complete. All right. Now... Here's where I mentioned this before. It's when, it, when John makes that note that he loved Mary or Martha and her sister Mary, right? Here we really see this play out. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved, right? In his spirit and greatly troubled. There's a little, boy, they got all sorts of little icons over this, which beg, beg to be rolled over and see what they are. See verse 38. Oh, yeah, that word comes up again. All right. Deeply moved or was indignant. All right. Now, this is a problem. <laughs> this word can mean either things. I won't give it to you in Greek because it's hard to pronounce. Uh, did a bit? Okay, I could, but in a bromesato. In a bromesato. All right. So he was either deeply moved or he was angry or indignant. Um, the English Standard Version chose to go with the, the sympathetic emotion of deeply moved. Anybody have a translation that says something different? Yeah, Ron. All right, that's almost the same. Um, New King James says, what verse are we on? 32, right? 34, there we are, all right. Oh, 33, there we are. He groaned in spirit and was troubled. That might be even more helpful because it kind of, it's kind of hedging the bet, right? He groaned. Was he groaned because he was angry or did he groan because he was sympathetic with them? What's yours say? So, so your, this, this is the newest Lutheran study Bible, right? Suggests that it is the more anger word, and he's actually upset with them, that they don't believe in him, and upset with, with death, if, if you like. Yeah, Ron? Yeah, you would even, you see this with the widow at Nain, another resurrection, but in the other Gospels, you know, we're, uh, there's a pretty strong indication that, that, that they hired, it was a custom, that you would hire mourners to come and wail with you. You know, it's like, it's like um, it'd be like hiring a church choir, <laughs> you know, for a festival. Or maybe you want to hire some music for your Easter celebration. That kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think it actually matters either way. He can be angry at death. He can be upset about their unbelief. Fair enough. Or he can actually be completely sympathetic and, and moved um, by them in his spirit and greatly troubled. 
Yeah, maybe it's a little bit of both. Um, but what I wanted to emphasize for you is sometimes John's gospel is presented as being this, all this high and lofty language to dealing, um, only dealing with, with Jesus' you know, relationship to the Father and his divinity and, and all, the majesty and awe and the glory of God and all, and, and all of his incomprehensible glory, right? And there's certainly a lot of that <laughs> and even more of that in John's gospel than the other gospels. But here, really poignantly, especially leading right up into his passion, suffering, and death, you see, you see his full humanity on display. Right? Yes, he's, he's revealing his glory. Yes, he's leading um, his people to faith in him as the only Son of God and the Christ, the Messiah. But he's not doing it devoid of being true man. Right? And he has utter and, and full sympathy, compassion, he knows their sorrows and griefs, right, in every way. This was his friend, right? And, and so that's why that emphasis is made. There's a friend and that he loved them, right? He loved the sisters. Not just the love of God to die for them and save them from their sins, but, but the love of friends for one another where they, where they bury one another's burdens, right? And so um, how does the apostle say it? We do not have... Um, a Savior who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but in every way has suffered as we are. You know. So we see that here. He's greatly troubled. He, and so he comes and says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then, of course, the famous shortest verse in the Bible, but again revealing that, that utter humanity of Jesus, complete humanity. Jesus wept. Um, I gave you another citation where he weeps, which is, did I write it down? Yeah, Luke 19, 49, when he weeps over Jerusalem, right? Oh, you who, uh, what is it, stone the prophets or kill the prophets? Yeah. Oh, that, that you would, um, I can't remember exactly how it goes, receive me as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. So he weeps over Jerusalem, not because he's mad at them, but because he, he's come to save them and they will not receive him. Which is, which is part of the mystery of faith, which actually is our sermon today, but that's another story for a few minutes from now. <laughs> All right. So the Jews said, and look at this, the people around him even see his compassion. That's why I said this whole being angry. I'm not so sure because look at how the Jews perceive what his weeping and his, his response. See how he loved him. Now notice the Jews say, see how he loved him. Present, past, future? Yeah, past tense. But remember, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He even loves him now. Because he who is dead is in his regard. He's already said it. He's just sleeping. Right? It doesn't mean death isn't real. Which we want to be cautious about that too, by the way. We can overemphasize sleeping and then escape and then forget to actually make the point that, yes, no, um, your loved one has died. I mean, they are dead. And we don't want to soft pedal that at the same time. So it's kind of a delicate balance, maybe, between the two. You know? Speaking from our perspective below, this is death, decay. You know? The stench is real. Uh, it's a real deal. This is a real death. From the Lord's perspective, this is his power over, over even this real death. So allow those things to be in tension with one another. Somebody have their hand up? Yeah, yeah Rhonda. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Oh, in chapter 19? I wrote 49. Okay, 19 verse 40. We'll put 41, that's fine. All right. And then notice they refer back to the events of chapter 5 of all places. So we have to go back and look at that if you want. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Answer? Sure he could have. <laughs> but is that what he did? No. Right? Yeah, quote it. What did, what did they say when he was on the cross? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, couldn't he command his legion of angels to come and save him? Ironically, that statement is also the same statement that the devil said to him when he said, leap off this building because God will bear you up, you know, with the angels will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone, quoting the psalm. Yeah. So the temptation of the Pharisees on the cross is the same temptation as the devil at the beginning. Hmm. Hmm. He did call them of your father, the devil. Oh, well. All right, here's more emotion. We should read this now. Next. Yeah, go. Uh, just read through 44. Jesus once more opened the womb. He opened the womb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Lord, it's a mark of the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad order, for he has been here four days. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that, that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. I said that this was the benefit of the people standing here. That they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, Take off the great clothes, the great clothes, and let him go. Unbind him. Um, there's actually a lot of scholars who get really hung up on that. It's like, wait a minute, how did he get out of the tomb if he can't walk? Because he's all bound up. Anyway, uh, I would not make too much of that if I were you. Um, I did give you a suggestion on the handout what that was all about. All right, so here's what Martha said. I always quote this, but now I actually have a King James Bible here, so I could just actually read it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. I always quote that one. He stinketh. Nice King James, right? There's an odor. Um, it's pretty bad. There's a stench. Um, all right, so, again, I, uh, by the way, if you don't cover something that I thought would be helpful, it's on the sheet, so you can always look at it there. All right, but we'll just focus on the text. Deeply moved again, that same word, right, about him being angry before, now he's moved again, right? And if you want to go with the angry tack, you know, or interpretation, um, there's a really, a lot, of, actually a lot of our Easter hymns um, offer that kind of hmm, perspective on how Jesus approaches death, right? The strife is o'er, the battle, is, battle done, now is the victor triumph won. I mean, who's he doing battle against? Sin, death, and devil, Right? 
The powers of death have done their worst, but Christ, their legions, hath dispersed. Let shouts of holy joy outburst. You probably don't know that one too well. Uh, that's Palestrina is the tune, and it's some Reformation-era Easter hymn. Or this one, which I don't know if we used it last year, but this is a uh, Luther turned... Luther has his Christ is arisen from death's dark prison, set, uh, from grave's dark prison, yeah. Um, was meant to go with this chant that's on the right-hand side. This is 460, but listen to this. Christians to the Paschal victim, offer your thankful praises. The lamb, the sheep has ransomed Christ, who only is sinless, reconciling sinners to the Father. Then these lines. Death and life have contended in that combat stupendous. The prince of life who died reigns immortal. Right? So death and life, and Jesus being life, um, have contended in a combat stupendous. I love that. You know, reclaim that word stupid to mean what it means. One of the things it means. So, I mean, there's a battle going on here, right? He's deeply moved, and if you want to go with the anger attack, then it's a battle, all right? And he's going to do warfare against this grave and against death that's holding Lazarus' prison. Uh, it was a cave with a stone. Okay, fine. That sounds familiar, though. Doesn't it? A grave with a stone in front of it? Okay, yeah, all right. Take away the stone. And I, and I would say he said that more in a not-so-casual way. You know, either the voice of, a com of command um, or even just, you know, like that. Real, I, I, I'm not a good actor. Maybe some, are any of you voice actors by trade? No? That was a joke. Um, you know, that kind of gruff... You know, when you're angry and you just, out of frustration, you just yell it at the grave. Which he does. Mary, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Which is, by the way, why they sealed the tomb. <laughs> Not to keep, just to keep grave robbers out, but because um, as the body is decomposing, because they didn't embalm, um, as it decomposed, then uh, it would smell pretty bad. And by the way, even an embalmed body doesn't smell too great. All right. Some of you know that probably well. Jesus said to her, huh, right? And what did he say to, this is Martha, right? What did he say to Martha before? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? When did he say that? Way back at the beginning of the chapter. Where did he say there, the glory of God, Martha? How far back do we have to go? So that you may believe, here's that bit, did he, say, he said glory up here somewhere, didn't he? Did I write it down on the sheet? No, I didn't write it down on the sheet. The glory of God. This illness does not lead to death. Where is that? Where is that? What verse? Verse 4. Did I just scroll right past it? I missed it. Oh, I didn't go far enough. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. All right. Then scrolling back where we are. He says again to her in verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Right? So, again, from the very first conversation with Martha, this has been the point. This has all been orchestrated, if you like, or allowed to proceed as it has, specifically for the, for the sake of faith, and that God, Jesus would be revealed. And how does he reveal himself? This is where it gets really, really cool. They take away the stone, and then this thing, this is, everybody's watching. Mary, Martha, the friends, the mourners, and who? 
the Jews, right? Jesus lifts up his eyes and says, and they hear this, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you will always hear me, and I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. He even tells you, I mean, he explicitly just says, I'm praying to you right now so that all these people believe that you sent me and that I'm doing your work. So, I mean, what, I can't think of another thing in John so far where you have Jesus' divinity and his humanity so, so wonderfully exposed, but also set next to each other, right, where both are on full display. It's the Father and the power of the Father over death, the one who gives death, the one who can take away death, um, being displayed, but also Jesus' full humanity, his weeping, his, his um, compassion, his anger towards death, all of that, or, or even just his deeply being moved by it. And then again, he says these things, he cried out with a loud voice, right? which is normally the voice of the prophet. The prophets are the criers. You know? um, don't we have a term like the town crier? Didn't we used to have? Well, who, who are those people? Huh? Yeah, they would announce the time and light the lamps. Yeah, the guy. Hear ye, hear ye. There you go. Exactly. So, and then just simple words. Lazarus, come out. Um, Lazarus is short for Eleazar. Does anybody know what that means? It's kind of like the nickname of, of Eleazar. Yeah, the Lord helped. Yeah, the Lord is our helper. Something like that. Right. And so his name actually means that the Lord is coming to help him. Somebody, the Holy Spirit, guided those parents to name him so. And the man who had died, notice past tense, <laughs> his hands and feet bound with linen strips. That sounds familiar. Well, let's see a stone and linen being wrapped and his face wrapped with a cloth. Hmm, burial claws. Oh, okay. I know I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but you get the idea. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, when Jesus rises from the dead, does anybody unbind him? Does he come out still wrapped in the shrouds of death? No. As a matter of fact, he even takes time to make the bed after he leaves. It's just beautiful. It's like, I, I know the women in the room probably love that bit. Oh, look, he's a dutiful. He did listen to his mom, right? He obeyed his mother and father. You know, make your bed. You know, be, be uh, disciplined about your life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I don't think you have to make too much of this, that he kind of walks out like a zombie. You know, you've probably seen the pictures where he's all like... The, whether the bindings are completely, and he can walk or not, that isn't the point. The point is, again, I think to show that unlike what we'll see in Jesus' own resurrection just in a few, few chapters... Um, Lazarus still needs the Lord and his command even to remove everything that has to do with his death. Not only does the Lord call him from the grave, but the Lord also animates him to life again, gives him the breath of life through his word, but also has to remove everything that even stinks of death from him, right? Anything that would indicate that. Does that follow? Yeah, so it's pretty incredible. Uh, was there another note? Oh yeah, I was going to note this. Things do kind of change with that, with that prayer to the Father. And I think we saw this as well. We'll see this again in chapter 17, where unlike the other Gospels, 
which are highly narrative and just story-based when you get to the upper room and then all the way through to Jesus' suffering and death. In John's Gospel, there's this long interlude, which we're going to have to spend a long time with, I'm just because we actually don't have it. We only have little bits and pieces of it in our lectionary, any of the lectionaries for that matter, the three-year or the one-year, only deal with it briefly. Um, and yet it's four chapters of the Gospel, which begs the question, either we don't understand it, we don't take the time to study it, um, or it actually is more significant than, than maybe we've given it a chance to be. Uh, so the end of it is called the High Priestly Prayer, but there's all of the... Uh, well, the one-year lectionary actually does this every year, unlike the three-year, which actually we get all the teachings of the Holy Spirit from that over, the, over three weeks in, in Easter every year. So you do hear um, quite a bit of at least one chapter of that in regards to the Holy Spirit and how he convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, that part. Um, but it's like the narrative of Jesus' life just flows into what I would call a liturgical life. You have this long, you have these prayers, you have all this doctrine being taught to the disciples, right? Um, which is what happens to us. We have the narrative of God's word, and then it, then it, but it's lived in, in a life of liturgy, of prayer, where what Jesus says is brought to bear upon what we're doing. Um, just a brief example, and then Ron had a point, I think. Um, one of the things that is given to the pastor um, before, before I commune is actually to say the words of, of, of different psalms and then of different parts of the gospel. So, for example, like before receiving um, the body and blood, before re- receiving the body, um, the pastor is instructed to, to confess, um, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my, my soul shall be healed. Right, which is quoting or paraphrasing the centurion, right? Or the, the soldier to Jesus. Um, so just as an example where, where, where the, that's a story, but then that story is brought to bear upon actually what we're, what's happening in the context of the Lord's Supper, um, which, you're, which you do well to do as well. Right, so let these be part of your prayer. Let this story, you know, say... Um, when you, I don't know. Maybe, maybe don't do this at a funeral. Um, pastor, he stinketh. You know, probably not a good thing to reclaim for a liturgy. But anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, yes, I know. <laughs> I had to stop somewhere, Ron. So I went with the paragraph break. Um, but yes, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. And again, I've been emphasizing that point. I've been trying to drive it home as much as possible. But again, everything that Jesus is saying and doing is for the sake of trust in him. Right? Even if he doesn't do exactly the same thing for you or do it in the same way, he reveals these things to you, that these things happen, that you would trust in him to do for you what he has promised. Yes, I know, but... And the but is a, there's a big but today in the gospel, so pay attention to that. All right, what, listen, I tell the children to listen for that but because that's when, you, that's when the pastor undermines everything he just said. In a good way, by the way, not in a bad way. You're a sinner, but... There, I'll leave you hanging. How's that? All right, depart in the Lord's peace. We'll be ready for church in a few.
We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.